Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 20. That's right, already the big 2-0 on the episode count. I'm Joe Smith coming to you live from the Motor City where school is around the corner and that means football is too. That's why we're here to be your home for unbiased coverage on all the NFL's upper Midwestern teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. With me is my friend and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Coming to you from a rainy uh, San Antonio day. This will be my last day recording from Texas. It's fitting that um, hurricane slash tropical storm Harold, Harold just rolled through for the last four hours. It just let up about 15 minutes ago. So I was able to walk the dogs. It's just funny to me that um, I'll be heading to Florida where it's where the hurricanes actually hit, but it hit me here, which is just funny to me. But oh, well, it'll be fun. Could be worse. I could be running the White Sox right now. Well, as of yesterday, because the White Sox fired their uh, GM and uh, vice president today. And going on the Reinsdorf stuff, uh, the news in the Bulls land is that uh, Lonzo Ball will be missing another full season. And uh, well, been a rough day for Chicago. But you know what? We do have football. So let's uh, move on forward to pre- preseason week two and a little uh, wrapping up our fantasy segments. It does look like the Bears are trending in the right direction. And that's all that matters. Yep. So Brian's move means that we do have some news about the upcoming schedule. So today is Tuesday, August 27th, and we do normally record on Tuesdays. But with Brian moving back to Florida, we're going to push back our next recording from the 29th of August to the early part of Labor Day weekend. And that'll be our last podcast before the start of the season. So after this episode, then we've got one episode for basically the next two weeks as we uh, get ready for the NFL to kick off. We will be joining you regularly during the season also. And I want to point out too that, so over the next two weeks, we will be launching only one podcast, but we're going to stagger it. So it's not just a full two week gap between new episodes you know exactly yeah thank you uh but this week we do have an exciting episode on tap for everybody uh before we begin though we need to ask all the midwestlanders and friends for a favor gentle listeners if you like the show please help us grow by leaving a five-star review subscribing and recommending us to your friends all of these things really help us grow the podcast so we can give you more content in the future We also look for comments from our fans and listeners anytime. We are happy to take questions, including your fantasy football questions. So if you want our advice on your team or anything along those lines, reach out to us at MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com. That was MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com or any of our socials if you happen to catch us there. But getting to the big news this week, other than the preseason stuff, The Jonathan Taylor saga continues to take another twist and turn, and all of a sudden, the Colts have given Taylor permission to seek a trade after being adamant that they would not do this. So this is funny to me, because this is like the sixth time we've let off this podcast with Jonathan Taylor news. So we're going to look back on this years from now and just remember that our first year podcasting will always be the Jonathan Taylor pod summer. Um, It's interesting because... It might be the biggest news of the offseason, but then the Chargers also granted permission for Austin Eckler to seek a trade, and that was months ago and nothing's happened. But Jonathan Taylor's younger, so maybe he has a bigger trade market. He should. Jonathan Taylor is a 24-year-old running back 
So even if he gets a three-year extension, that'll only be through his age 27 season, mm-hmm. which is the which should be the prime of his career and entirely before the cliff. And that's when they worry about. They don't want to sign the 26-year-old to a four-year extension because then three of those will be a, a potentially wasted, two or three of them. But I, I agree. This is the guy that you would trade for and extend, in my opinion. Do you have any uh, ideas of who you think might want to trade for him? Uh, I know Miami's been kicking the tires. That would make sense. Yeah, especially with A-Chain getting a shoulder injury. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, cools me a little bit on him in uh, fantasy football. That was very yeah, bullish last week. Yeah. And it looks like it's going to be a significant shoulder injury. So very likely to miss time or be limited or very likely to re-enter. So yeah. it's that that's not good news. So the the Colts are asking for uh, a first round pick or a Christian McCaffrey special in return, which was a second, third, fourth, and another fourth. Um, this makes sense to me. If McCaffrey can go for that, these two guys were debated as the number one overall pick in fantasy last year. So, except like you said earlier, Taylor's way younger and you know mid peak prime. So there's another aspect to that too though and that McCaffrey had already signed his mega deal mm, so, so you know what you were getting into yeah everybody knew what they were getting into they were committed to move on from the deal because they couldn't just sit there for three months and suddenly have complete control of a guy for in a relative for an elite level player for a relatively affordable 10 million or whatever the franchise is that it wasn't an option for McCaffrey. You had to either eat the whole thing or move on. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Cause I know a lot of the teams that are being floated out in addition to Miami are like Philadelphia and Chicago, which is interesting because these teams seem to be very happy with a deep stable of young and cheap running backs anyway. So it'd be surprising if one of them pivoted to go get Taylor, but either would kind of make sense in my opinion. If this was happening next year, Chicago might do that. I still see Chicago as one year behind, but especially since now that who's the out offensive lineman just got hurt. So Tevin Jenkins. So, so you, you, despite saying that Taylor's got probably three or four more good years, you don't think he'll be good next year. That's not what I meant. If the bears acquired him this year, they probably wouldn't let him walk in free agency. So they'd still have him next year. I think that would be the play. That's why it would, it would fit the timeline if you if you got if you project him three or four more good years. Yeah, that's fair, and he should have that. And that's not like the Bears have a ton of young have a ton of guys about to get signed to big deals either. So I mean, my take is I don't think the Bears need to do it. I think they have three good young running backs, and they don't really need to spend a lot of their capital. It's better to sit on the extra first round pick just in case Fields flames out. You can trade up for it, and then you could go get someone else to help fields out if he doesn't. So I think that's kind of the mentality behind why Jonathan Taylor is probably going to have a hard time finding a trade partner that the Colts are willing to accept the deal from because every general manager thinks they're the smartest guy in the universe. And so they're thinking, why should I give up a second round pick when I can draft the next Jonathan Taylor for that same second round pick? Exactly. And I mean, we're still living in a world where Leonard Fournette and Kareem Hunt are still unsigned. Hunt already talked to Indianapolis and met with them. So I'm sure Indianapolis would love to get a first round pick and then just sign Kareem Hunt and just, just run it in, you know, just keep going. 
Right. Yeah. So, and, and that's why I was kind of saying the thing that I did because about the bears, because it's not about where he is on his player arc, Jonathan Taylor. It's about when they're willing to give up the draft capital. The bears still have a lot of uses for that much draft capital. There are a lot of teams, well, not a lot of teams, but there are teams in the NFL that if you are one player away and that player is a running back, they're not going to care what they're giving up. Mm-hmm. Like the and, Niners did last year with a Christian McCaffrey. Right, until they lacked a quarterback with a functioning elbow. <laughs> Philip Rivers, Super Bowl, <laughs> if they made it. Oh, oh man. Well, we mentioned uh, Kareem Hunt earlier, so let's talk about his old team and uh, start our pre- week, se- week two se- preseason rundown with the uh, Browns-Eagles, since that was the first one. Um, I think the big news is the wide receivers. Um, Austin Watkins balled out big time again for three straight weeks. I haven't looked it up, but I'm pretty sure he's running away with the uh, preseason yardage total for receiving. And that's if you probably removed his Hall of Fame game. And the fact that he has a bonus game doesn't even matter. He's been putting up 80 to 130 yards a game. Um, unfortunately for him, it probably doesn't matter too much because Cedric Tillman also played really well. He had two big catches in the first drive, including a third and 18 conversion. And I think Tillman, who, you know, was their first pick of the draft this year, they want him to succeed. And he probably solidified a top four spot in the lineup. So Austin Watkins is just trying to get the fifth spot. I think Watkins did well enough that if he doesn't make it with Cleveland, he'll be somewhere, I think. Yeah, that's... Definitely true. If Austin Watkins doesn't end up somewhere with a chance to seriously contribute, then that's shocking to me. But the because of the dynamics within the receiving core that you mentioned, the stories in the Cleveland Browns sort of online mm-hmm. fanverse are a phrase in, the fr- in terms of will Austin Watkins make the roster still? Yeah. So he's just got so many guys that the Browns are really invested in front of them that this guy balling out may end up not mattering, but that would really be a shame. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where if he doesn't make the roster, it's almost pointless to have the second half of the preseason game because some guy who dominates that much should make it. But I think a lot of it comes down to when you're talking the fifth and sixth roster spots is do they play special teams? And I don't know if Watkins is a special team or not. If he's willing to play, he probably makes it. If not, someone like David Bell or something might get it over him. Um, and the reason why they're, you know, Watkins and Tillman are only going for fourth is I, I remind, we talked about this in the past. They got Cooper. They got Elijah Moore as the top two. Donovan Peoples Jones is probably locked in in that three spot because he is the only guy that's really a field stretcher role. So even if Tillman outplays him, he probably is more of an injury replacement for Cooper or Moore or and if he plays well enough, it will allow the Browns to walk away from Amari Cooper next year or two years from now just to save cap space. Um, and then he would be he would slide in over people's Jones, in my opinion. But I think he's in a good spot. Um, he's someone to keep an eye on in fantasy, but not this year, <laughs> maybe next year. Yeah. Dynasty formats. Yeah. Cade York, the Browns kicker, missed a field goal and. It went viral because he had just earlier in the game posted about 
how it felt great to hit the kick or something like that and ended up taking that down. So, yeah. Like he posted it during the game? Something like that. Like he was just on his phone on the sideline? I mean, it's not like kickers do a whole lot throughout the game, right? The the article that I read made it sound like he was posted in the middle of the game. But, you know, it's, you know, the old adage, don't believe everything that you hear on the uh, internet. I only read headlines and I believe every headline are never misleading. I'm being sarcastic for everyone listening. <laughs> but uh, another uh, big story to follow is rookie fourth rounder out of Ohio State. Sorry, the Ohio State University, Dewan Jones, went head to head with first round pick uh, Nolan Smith from the Eagles, a pass rusher. This was an interesting matchup because I thought Dewan Jones should have gone in the back half of the first round around where Nolan Smith went. So it was interesting to see him fall to the fourth and go toe to toe with Smith. Now there is a viral video where Smith beat Dewan Jones, but now we're talking three games in where Dewan Jones, I think might lead the league in preseason snaps. I mean, they have the fourth, the extra game with the hall of fame game, but he's played over 130 snaps now, and he's only been beaten two or three times. He has been, amazing and pass rushing or pass blocking and uh he tends to whiff a little bit on the uh run blocks but i mean he's 380 pounds or something all he's got to do is make contact with the guy so he when he gets beat he usually doesn't get beat and he's still slated to be the backup but the guy who starts at right tackle is often injury prone so it is likely dewan jones will probably be starter for the uh, Browns by the second half of the season. And if not next season, and that's a real steal for them, especially because it gives him an extra, you know, some extra time on the bench to develop his technique. Cause he tends to punch too early, which is when he gets into trouble. Cause he's so big. All he's got to do is make contact with the defensive end and he stops him. But when he whiffs, that's when he gets beaten. It's always good when you've got that second big-time tackle. It just makes a difference in your offensive line that can't be understated. Yep. And uh, speaking of former Buckeyes, on the Eagles' side of the ball, Trey Sermon, who's not dead yet, uh, he uh, looked really explosive but lost a fumble on the uh, on, a, on a screen pass. But then he scored a touchdown later on a really good run. Um it was funny because during the game, there were talks that he might be the one making the team and Rashad Penny might get cut. And then he fumbled the ball. And now there's talks that Trey Sermon will probably be looking for a third team in three years. <laughs> so, yeah, because coaches tend to not like it very much when running backs fumble the ball. Yeah, it's a shame. Sermon's uh, he I, I still think he's a an interesting story because he did have a really good pre-draft profile. He was drafted, I think in the second or third round by San Francisco, got beat up by Elijah Mitchell. Then they added Christian McCaffrey and there was just no room left for him. And then he goes to the Eagles where they have a four deep running back room. If you include Boston Scott and he might just be getting stuck on the wrong team. So who knows? Hopefully he can find a team that uh, he has a better chance at. Maybe he'll be the Colts starting running back when they trade, uh, Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> Who knows? Who kn- I still think the Colts would like to keep Taylor. And oh, yeah. yeah, I feel and, like I, I, yeah. I bit my tongue earlier. This is feeling a little collusiony, kind of like there's a lot of theories about the Lamar Jackson. Oh yeah, go go talk to other teams. We know nobody else is going to offer you something, kind of thing. But who knows? But uh, 
Any other comments on the Browns Eagles or shall we move on to the next it, one? It ended up in a tie at 18-18 and a lot of fans were not too happy because the back half of the game was pretty sloppy. Euro but, footballers enjoyed it. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> on to the Steelers who played the Bills and beat them 27-15. There's lots to sort of dissect here. Starting with Jalen Warren, who was explosive again, and fans are looking for when they can shove Najee Harris out the door, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, I think a lot of the Steelers fans defend Najee, and they're just happy to have two. I think it's the fantasy sharps who want to shove Najee to the uh to the to the curb and get their late round draft pick stud to be a league winner. I think is what's going on. So that's it. That's at the Twitter. My my Twitter blew up with the Najee or the Jalen Warren run <laughs> when that happened. So I couldn't get away from it. But I mean, it looks good. I think they got two good running backs. They've looked. They played really well down uh, together. Uh, and the second half of the season after the bye week, and it's kind of a steady drum beat. Uh, Calvin Austin, uh, backup receiver, had an explosive play. So the Steelers only played two drives with their uh, starters, but they were basically three play drives because they scored giant uh, touchdowns on both drives, and then they sat down. Which builds off of what we were talking about last week when in all of 22, they never had a play longer than I think 32 yards or a scoring play and now they've had multiple just quick strike drives in two preseason games so this looks like a radically different offense or if not that then a radically different philosophy now that the offensive line issues have been largely addressed and they're looking for uh, the opportunity to actually go down the field. We'll talk more about that because we're going to dissect a lot of the Brown. Or... We'll talk more about that because we're going to dissect a lot of the Steelers receivers for fantasy purposes later. Mm-hmm. I was going to say uh, the offensive line helps you make explosive plays when there's more, more play time to develop and uh, more holes open up for your speedy running back. <laughs> exactly. Nick Herbig looked amazing again, had another highlight where he just kind of like squirted underneath the pat, the the offensive tackle trying to block him and then just stopped on a dime and just sacked the quarterback. Like he looked like a receiver beating press man coverage coming off the top of a route to catch a hook pass. And it was amazing to see a big boy corner like that. That was impressive. I think he might be, he was definitely at least worked himself into the three man, into the pass rush rotation. And I uh, see a lot of uh, Watt and Watt 2.0 uh, <laughs> t- uh, tweets coming out for Herbig's uh, two uh, c- uh, preseason game highlights so far. So Steelers fans are pretty happy with that. Very good. For the NFL side here of the wide receivers, I wanted to point out that Allen Robinson has been starting ahead of Pickens through two weeks on at the outside. And that's something that has not been widely reported anywhere, but it's happening. I'm, I don't want to be the guy that comes on and says, boy, I don't know what the preseason means. Because I don't think that's very good podcasting, mm-hmm. but a lot of what's going on is a mystery. Not only did Allen Robinson start both games, he played 100% of the snaps when the first team was in. So he looks like he is just locked in as the starter with the way if if, uh, 
the preseason rotations mean anything. He's going to be playing a lot in the Steelers' three receiver sets and possibly their two receiver sets, which is kind of shocking. It could be if he's anything like he was, you know, in Chicago or Jacksonville, he could be the biggest steal of the offseason if he uh, literally traded a seventh round pick swap. Not a seventh rounder, a pick swap in the seventh round. That's the good year in Chicago. Yeah. Not the last two years he played, which, you know, bad year in Chicago, bad year with the Rams. So it would be a pretty a crazy reclamation project, in my opinion. Well, we do know that the Steelers have such a foundation of success organizationally that if there anybody's going to do it, that's one you'd bet on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, speaking of institutional success from Pittsburgh, is their defense legitimate? The Bills and Josh Allen played a lot into that game, and they had very little success against the Steelers. So do you think the uh, we should be betting against the Bills as their Super Bowl favorite, or do you think we should be putting our money on Pittsburgh winning the Super Bowl now? Because it's one or the other. There's no in between. You're either first or last. This is Ricky Bobby. Shake and bake, baby. I mean, we don't normally cover the Bills, but – what parts of the Bills offense are actually above average right now? They've got a fantastic quarterback and Stephon Diggs. Mm-hmm. And now three years of game tape with them together for every NFL defensive coordinator to pick apart. If some yeah. other reliable secondary options don't develop, this they may be going down and not up, and that's when guys get fired. And well, not to mention Stefan Diggs blowing his stack. And I think they're getting a little desperate to crack open this Super Bowl window because the big draft story out of Buffalo was they wanted to get one of those first-round receivers. And there was that run of four rookies in a row, and they missed out on it. So then they took Dalton Kincaid, the top tight end on the board, and it seems almost like they took him because they want to upgrade the receiver core by having a big slot receiver, which is you don't want to draft for needs. You want to draft for the best player. And we've seen it. Dawson Knox, when he's playing, he's plays in the one tight end sets. And then, you know, Kincaid comes out as a slot receiver or two tight end sets. Um, I mean, it's also he's a rookie, too. You know, you got to earn your stripes. But I agree. I mean, their big hope is that Gabe Davis can bounce back this year and take pressure off of the double teams on Diggs. And we did not see it last year, but Davis was slowed early in the season due to injury. And then people forgot that Allen did injure his throwing shoulder midway through the season. So maybe it's just that by the time he had full speed to stretch the field, Josh Allen couldn't get the ball down the field. But it'll be an interesting because they could just have missed their window and they might be fourth place in that division, which is very good, you know, or the Steelers defense could just be really good. Let's not forget that. My boy Nick Herbig's falling out. I think I am much more inclined to go with the Steelers defense is legit to the point that they're going to stop a lot of teams that have really only one above average option against them. I, I agree with that. I think that's a good point. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't sell the my bill stock yet. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't do think this. they're finishing fourth in that division. But yeah, well, it's a good division, but maybe New England's going to be hard to fall behind, in my opinion. Yep. But on to the next one. So we got uh, Chicago seventeen, Indianapolis twenty four. 
Um, the big the Bears did not play really anybody. Um, the big story out of Chicago was PJ Walker stunk out the joint for a second straight week. I believe his stats were one for four for six yards, and he took two sacks for minus nine. So in six dropbacks, he netted negative three yards. That is not very good. Um, <laughs> you last- think? <laughs> <laughs> It, it's below average. I'll say that. It's, you know, you and yeah. I could have gone out there and thrown the ball into the dirt six times and done had a better game. Uh, just, just a theory. And then um, that t- top um, tacking on last week when I watched him play, uh, his first throw was a pretty bad looking interception. I don't know if it was his fault or the receivers. It looked like he was throwing a deep corner route and maybe the receiver broke it off into the open and he just threw the ball directly to the safety or uh, he should have read the same thing the receiver did. And either way, he's had two really rough games, which has really opened it up for the story of the Chicago offseason right now, which is um, backup undrafted quarterback. Tyson Bajent, not Bajent, it's Bajent pronounced, by the way. I I had to look that up for everyone who wants to know because he's just no one heard about him until two days ago. Um, He is an undrafted rookie out of Shepherd University. I have no idea where that is. I didn't even look up where that is. I just looked it up. He threw for 5,000 yards and 53 touchdowns in 2021. And just to prove that it wasn't a fluke, he threw for 4,500 yards and another 41 touchdowns last year when the defenses were catching on to him. He still did pretty well. Um, he was nine for 10 ran in a touchdown in the in, in the game. Um, uh, and Matt Everflew's openly said the quarterback position for the, the backup quarterback position is open for grabs now. And with a third guy competing being Nathan Peterman, who might be one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen start a game in the NFL, especially the, uh, in a playoff game for, Buffalo. Um, Bajan's looking pretty good to win that backup job. Shepherd University, by the way, is in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, which is right on the Maryland border. It is essentially a Washington, D.C. suburb. Oh, wow. I got friends who live out in Hagerstown. They probably know about it. I should be embarrassed. Way out in the tip of West Virginia. Mm, nice. So, well, that's good to know. But yeah, so uh, that was a big story for him. Um, we'll see uh, how he does, if he can make it. He'll probably make the team. The question is, will P.J. Walker be able to salvage anything in the last week? Because uh, he was the big free agent signing for the backup role, and he has not looked the part at all. But yeah. either way, neither team played any of their starters, and Gardner Minshew looked great. I mean, arguably Minshew is the better quarterback in Indianapolis at this moment, but there's no point to playing him because you're not probably winning the Super Bowl with this roster. So you better develop Anthony Richardson, in my opinion, give him the reps. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was going to say. You would expect Gardner Minshew to dominate guys that are about to become car salesmen and insurance agents. Yeah. On the Colts side, they do have Kenyon Drake. We talked a lot about the Colts in the top with the news. If Kenyon Drake is the starter, if Taylor holds out, you know, is he the starter? Does anybody care? I, I feel like if he holds out or gets traded, Drake will be there, but they'll probably sign Hunter Fournette or something. Let's be honest. Yeah. They'll probably have some sort of committee approach. Zach Moss will come back from his broken arm. You know, I wouldn't be very excited from a fantasy point. Uh, for anybody in that backfield if Taylor's not there. 
What I would say for uh, Indianapolis, though, is mm-hmm. Josh Downs continues to show out. He has actually been the Colts' most consistent rookie on either side of the ball. He has looked very, very good in the slot. Yeah, and, and since today's our wide receiver episode, um, he's not on it, but he was one of my favorite sleeper picks, especially as a slot receiver in this year's rookie class. Um, I haven't been grabbing him in any league because I just don't think he's a great fit with what Richardson does. Richardson's kind of run the ball or push it down the field. I would have been really excited if Josh Downs ended up in like Carolina or uh, Houston with one of the other two rookie quarterbacks. I think they would throw to him a lot. Like you could see like 10 catch games out of this, you know, but either way, he's good to see him in the slot role. He's probably going to be playing a lot in three receiver sets. So he still might get on the field a lot. And um, he's a good skill set to complement Pittman and Alec Pierce, in my opinion. So whether he met, whether, Richardson's good at throwing the ball to the slot or, or whatever, or pushes down the field. He is a great find for them to uh, fill out the wide receiver core. He fills a need, and I think he's really underrated. Now, the other last story with the Bears and the Colts, I think it's interesting because both teams drafted cornerbacks in the second and the fifth round. The Bears took Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami and really good physical tools, not always great production versus Terrell Smith out of Minnesota, who didn't have great tools, but was great at production. And uh, very similar, Juju Brents out of Kent State was a good, uh, you know, toolsy guy. And uh, Darius Rush out of South Carolina was a good production guy. And I've heard a lot of stories in camp that the fifth rounders were outplaying the second rounders. However, Darius Rush got burned and then got injured this game. So that didn't look good for him in Indianapolis. Um, Terrell Smith hasn't has been uh, off and on. But Tyreek, the big story in the first two games is Tyreek Stevenson's been playing a lot and he's actually been playing well. And, you know, that's what they obviously hope for. Their toolsy guy learns how to play instead of their non-toolsy guy just being a guy because they could get a really high-end cornerback out of there. Yeah. On to our next game, the Bengals and Falcons. We're going to go over this fairly quickly because the Bengals didn't play anybody. It was a tie that and those always leave nobody satisfied even in the preseason but there was one good story here so the big story worth following for the Bengals was they drafted two rookies uh, Charlie Jones out of Purdue in the fourth round and Andre um Isovias out of Princeton in the That's sixth round wide receiver yeah and they looked pretty good and the big story about that is with, you know, um, the big the, the Brinks truck about to be backed up to Joe Burrow's house and Jamar Chase's house. Do you keep uh, T. Higgins? Do you pay him too? Do you uh, go with uh, Tyler Boyd, who's already making 10 million or not? So if these guys play well enough, they can trade him or let him walk. Yeah, the Brinks truck's, truck's only going to be backed up to Jamar Chase's house. They're just going to give him the company of Brinks for, for Burrow. He's going to just own oh, Brinks. That's good. He'd just be owning the fleet of trucks. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, good point. So I think that's a big, big story because if even one of those guys can start to carve out a role, I think it'll be easy for the Bengals to let uh, T Higgins walk somewhere else and then just pick up the compensatory pick in the off season. And, and that's really what we're looking for in the preseason for out of, out of Cincinnati. Can these guys look good as the fourth and fifth guy this year and emerge into a starting role next year? Um, on the other side of the ball, 
uh, rookie sensation Bijan Robinson looked explosive in uh, short duty. He had a great um, run early on, his first run of, the, of his career. And then he also had one catch for six yards, but it was a highlight catch because it was not a very accurate pass by Desmond Ritter, which is also the theme of the Falcons where Pitts and London, huge guys, huge receiver, huge catch radiuses, both made great catches, also on inaccurate passes. Sorry to say this, Seth, you are a big time uh, Desmond uh, Ritter truther out there, but he is not accurate. If these guys did not have the catch radius of the side of a barn, I don't think he he would be moving the ball very well. These passes would be sailing into the hands of the safeties and cornerbacks. And uh, I think the uh, prediction of the Falcons to the final four might be a little bit early if Desmond Ritter is still there. Unless he can work on his accuracy issues, I have uh, been a little disturbed, especially when you combine last year. They were not very – he was not very accurate. Him and Mariota were the bottom three of the league last year. Yeah, there's only so many diving backwards over the wrong shoulder one-handed catches that a wide receiver can make. Hey, we love watching highlight reels, but there's a point where it's like, if you can hit him on the run, that highlight reel becomes a highlight catch and run for lots of yards. Yeah, yeah. And also, those highlight catches become highlight clotheslines because you leave your receivers up to dry and then they get injured and then they shorten their career. So we don't, yeah, want to you don't, that. you don't want to lead the receiver into an NFL safety that is looking to body bag the guy. Exactly. Titans 24 Vikings 16. This was another one that not a whole lot of starters played. Malik Willis played the entire game here because there was no Will Levis. He had some kind of unspecified injury. Again, Take from it what you will. It, that's a Rorschach test. Yeah, it is. I mean, I've heard stuff saying Malik played the whole game because he is playing to prove he can make the roster. Because when you combine last year when he had this rookie with all this upside and they had to win one of their last couple games and they pulled Josh Dobbs off, I believe it was the Lions practice squad midseason. Yeah. And with less than a week of practice, thrust Dobbs into the starting lineup for two must win games uh that shows me the coaching staff is not impressed by what malik willis does he tends to he doesn't seem to follow the progressions they want him to and there is some stories that he was out there the whole game because they're trying to get him to prove he can do it and uh he might be a roster cut because he apparently was not necessarily showing the skills that they want to see out of it that's a story i've heard We'll see. Still still two more weeks left in the preseason, but um, maybe it was just Will Levis was out and they had nobody else to play. Maybe. As far as the other players, Tajay Spears looked good as uh, handcuffs. He ripped off a 33-yard touchdown run in the first. Again, this was with a Vikings defense that already stinks and then started nobody. Uh, also on that play was uh, safety Lewis Seen who met Ty J Spears in the hole and then whiffed diving at his feet. So, yeah, watch out here. Oh, it got even worse because after the game, he said, I don't know what else I could have done to uh, have prevented Tajay's touchdown. And uh, we all saw the game film. I think the uh, coaches have uh, some possible critiques for how he could have adjusted what he did on that to maybe tackle the running back. But um, but the phrase one sided conversation comes to mind. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, and, you know, seeing he's the first round rookie or second year player uh, out of Minnesota, he missed almost the entire se- rookie season. So Minnesota would really like to see him show progression so that he can maybe do something later this year. But it's been rocky. Yeah. As for somebody that is, came into the league as a box safety, you have to tackle. Mm-hmm. If you're not tackling and you are a box safety, not a center fielder, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Agreed. So kicking we'll was see. solid, however. Uh kicker Greg Joseph, three for three on field goals. We had some good plays from linebacker Tony Dye, who got a pick. Cornerback Tay Gowan forced a fumble, got a fumble recovery, excuse me. Cornerback Tay Gowan got a fumble recovery and punt coverage. So there were some nice individual plays and guys trying to make a case for the roster. Patriots 21, Packers 17. Again, Jordan Love looked great in his one series. They had a big bomb to Romeo Dubs. Jaden Reed caught a touchdown again, so he looked good one more time. Packer fans are already getting excited for Jaden Reed as the next great second-round wide receiver pickup for the Packers. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he's already solidified himself in three wide receiver sets, which is kind of the theme. A lot of these rookies, um, as we talked about Josh Downs earlier, are kind of getting in on those three receiver sets right away, which is a really good sign for a lot of these guys. Uh, carving out a role early in the preseason is good sign for them as the f- season goes on. And Reed looked good. It looks like a very nice wide receiver room, all young coming up here. You've got a lot of got the two workout freaks with Christian Watson and Jaden Reed, but Romeo Dobbs just keeps getting open and keeps getting thrown to. And sometimes a lot of uh, analysts like to look at underlying efficiency metrics, but those don't measure necessarily things like intangibles and route running. And if the guy's just always getting open. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to come back to this Packers later when we get to the receivers, uh, because I, I got some comments on Watson, Dubs, and Reed when we get there. Um, so that'll be a teaser is what they call in the business. Um, the other thing is uh, Luke Musgrave has just been playing all the sets at tight end, which is pretty good because a lot of rookie tight ends don't, you know, carve out that role that quickly, um, which is, you know, he's like the number four or five guy in this class. So this might be one of the best rookie classes we've seen, especially if Kincaid and Laporta and Mayer and stuff are live up to the hype. This was a game that ended early uh, because of a injury to New England cornerback Isaiah Bolden, uh, and then the rest of the game was canceled. Uh, he was taken to the hospital. There's movement in his extremities, so hopefully a, a speedy and complete recovery is in the works for him. Yeah, I agree. It was good to see him and hear the news that he's moving again, so we're happy to see it, and I think they did the right thing by – uh Moving on is preseason game and health and, uh, you know, everything else is important. Agreed. So the last game here was Jaguars 25, Lions 7. And before we talk too much about the game itself, we have to address Jamison Williams, who pulled his hammy apparently pretty badly in the practices leading up to this game. He's now totally out for the preseason. Remember, he's also got that six-game gambling suspension. So now he's been in the league two years and has missed a camp and a half 
that is concerning that he's missing the camps because he's not building rapport with um, Jared Goff on those short routes. And I talked to friend of the podcast guest, Tony Hunt, about it earlier this week. I asked him, what's your panic meter? Is it on a scale of one to 10? And he said it's up to eight because when you look at the one preseason game he played last week, uh, there was a highlight reel of him running a deep ball with the cornerback just draped running all over, sorry, not draped all of them, just running stride for stride with him. And there's some concerns. I don't know if it's like this in Detroit, but uh, it seems to me like, this hamstring injuries and the injuries that kept him out last year's knee injury and stuff might've taken away some of his deep ball speed. And without that, he doesn't, he, he's looking, he's starting to look like a bust if he doesn't have his, his t- that top end gear, if he can't get open deep and uh, what's your uh, concern meter. Are you up with Tony or are you less? So I'm concerned? a little bit less so because I still have confidence that his deep speed will be there basically unless they rush him back, which they have no reason to, where it ends up being a permanent leg problem. Really, the bigger issue for me is he keeps doing stupid stuff. Yeah, stupid quotes, stupid actions, whatever. So my level of concern is, you know, with one being no problem at all and 10 being near-death experience, I'm somewhere around four or five. Mm. Um, I don't think he's ever going to live up to his top 10 overall draft pick potential. I will say that, but I still have a lot of confidence that he can be a useful part of this offense. Yeah. And I think with um, St. Brown taking over the alpha role and Laporta possibly being, you know, the underneath guy that, you know, could help move the chains at tight end. You just need him to be a one trick pony. He might never live up to, Number 12 overall, I think he was picked. I think you guys traded up with Minnesota. That sounds luckily, right. You, luckily for Detroit, they fleece Minnesota in the trade. So it's they, it could have been worse if they paid full value to go from 32 to 12, you know. And um, But even if he's if, – as long as he can stretch the field, he'll never be a true bust because they don't need him to be the all-around alpha wide receiver that some people think he was the best receiver in that draft class, which – I don't think he was, but I think he was at the time. I think he was worthy of the first round pick. I thought he was a top five guy. I still had the, his Buckeye teammates and Drake London ahead of him, but I thought he was like fourth or fifth battling Traylon Burks. And uh, so I hope he gets better. The blessing in disguise is a hamstring. They tend to rush back from those and then re-injure them. But the blessing in disguise or silver lining is that he's suspended. So he can't be rushed back until week seven. So he's got two months to, uh, you know, rest up and hopefully he can get to full strength and we can actually see what he can actually do because it's been two years since we've seen him play at Alabama. Yeah, uh, really quickly on the fantasy side, as far as I'm concerned, Jamison Williams is completely untouchable in redraft. Agreed. Uh, Maybe uh, you're in a league where you can IR people who are on suspension, but that's probably not going to happen. Even then, at this point, I'm at the I'm at the point of show me that you're going to actually put up starter worthy numbers. I mean, if you're sitting there in some kind of best ball format. You know, you're doing an underdog draft and you could stash him for a price of basically three. Okay. But if for a normal league, your friends and family league where you have to make lineup decisions and decide, okay, this is the week he's going to start. 
I don't care how many guys I have to start. I'm not drafting them. Yeah, when when would you ever be confident plugging him into your starting lineup at this point? <laughs> so I agree. Best ball only as a late rounder flyer. So on to the actual game. Yep, this one is a game that I, you know, sitting in Detroit, got the chance to watch. It was almost all backups entirely from the beginning, but it was weird because Jack Campbell that we expected a lot out of played into the third quarter. He is in competition with Derek Barnes for middle linebacker. Tracy Walker, the safety, who we thought was a clear starter, played most of the first half exclusively with the second teamers. I, you know, I, I thought these guys were better than this and they are playing with the second team. Like, are we lo- really looking for, you know, Alex Anzalone as the starting middle line as a starting linebacker again, or what's going on here? Anzalone seems to be the only linebacker that has his role safe at this point. And, um, I'm surprised because Jack Campbell was really good last week. So I'm surprised that he played so long with the backups. Um, and I believe you were telling me about Tracy Walker in our pre-production. He was the big free agent signing last year. He got injured. So maybe they're just trying to work some rust off of him by getting him some more reps. Yeah. For whatever reason with Jack Campbell, they didn't see enough in the joint practices. So maybe they feel like they want him out there to you know, to give him more game time reps because the linebacker is such an analytical position. He's quarterback of the defense. He wants to play the middle linebacker and you want somebody that can react game speed and he might still be reacting college speed at times. Yeah. And I'm glad you put mentioned that because it does usually take linebackers a couple of years to, cut, to hit their stride. So extra reps is probably good. And I'm glad you mentioned the uh, joint practices because we didn't see the Lions starters in this 25 to seven loss, but I've heard stories from the joint practices that the Lions offense was shredding the Jaguars to the point where the Jaguars probably need to get another pass rusher if they want to compete for their division because the golf was annihilating them is what I've heard. So go Lions. If you're a Lions fan, if you sat through that game, that preseason game, that's not you are a great fan. You earned it because that was a rough one. I know you did yeah. watch most of it. Brian Branch, you know, has looked great. He didn't play at all. I mean, it was really just those two guys are the guys that we expected to be started. But I mean, Brian Branch last week, you know, sent a New York giant into orbit and then I guess lit up a couple people in the joint practices. So, uh, yeah, OK, we've seen enough. He might be the steal of the draft for for the defensive side this year, Brian Branch. Mm-hmm. As far as the actual game, defensive end John Kaminsky had a great game at defensive end. He's already looking to be part of the rotation and is solidifying that role for sure. Mm-hmm. Chase Coda is a depth wide receiver that is looking to throw his hat into a very, very muddled bottom three of the Lions wide receiver core. He had a couple of very nice returns. He had some one or two big plays offensively catching the football, uh, which was few and far between because Teddy Bridgewater looked very rusty. Not all of it was his fault because the backup offensive linemen, especially the interior offensive linemen were atrocious. Mm. Teddy Bridgewater 
had one play that he technically is credited for a lost fumble, but that's because the nose tackle was grabbing him by the arm before he could hand off the ball. Oh, that's rough. Like, like the center and the guard basically both let him free. Wow. I, I mean, I'm not an expert in the sense, you know, I've never been an offensive lineman. But I'm pretty sure the nose tackle is pass rushing most of the time. You might want to block it. Might want to consider it. It, was, it wasn't Aaron Donald out there on the uh, Jaguar second string. So, yeah. Um, just one last thing on the Chase Coda thing. You mentioned he had some good returns. That's always good news for a guy looking to fight their roster spot, as we mentioned with uh, Austin Watkins earlier. If you can show you can be a special team or you can make that team at the bottom of the roster. Um, one thing I missed on the Bears is Vilas Jones is having a rough uh, preseason. There's talk that he's been fumbling punts and he did that week one in the preseason and he might not make the roster. And if you remember, he was the big third round pick to help out Justin Fields last year. So uh, Coda, it's good to hear he's going the opposite direction for Detroit. So, but even when there was not a lot of pressure in the face, Bridgewater looked rusty is the term that I would use. He's not quite plug and play in this offense. He needs more time with the receivers. And Nate Sudfeld just flat out stunk again. All he does is fire, fire passes over the middle and Salem. Do you think he's even an NFL quarterback at this point? Sudfeld? Sudfeld. Yeah. Probably not. Um, He's he's a a hole on the roster. Yeah. Uh, If you because if you can't do anything in the Lions offense with the offensive line that they have when they play with their starters and the and Amon Ra and all the running backs and so on and so forth. What do you need? Yeah. Do you you need five Hall of Famers? Is that what it's going to take? I think he's done a good job keeping his head down on the backup role and being a good, good, uh, good coachable. I'm guessing the coaches probably like him um, on the sidelines, but when he has to step on the field, it does not look great. Um, onto the other side, um, looks like Tank Bigsby is clearly the number two guy in Jacksonville behind ETN, uh, vanquishing Dearness Johnson, who did score two touchdowns. Uh, Dearness scored stupid name of my dynasty team, by the way. Um, and, uh, that's pretty good backfield for Jacksonville if uh, Johnson is the third uh, third tight th- third tailback there. So those guys look good. So, uh, but he was responsible for a hold. And Bigsby had some. What was it? What was the description of that play? Like he cut yeah. it back the wrong way. I heard you talk about yeah. it in pre-production. I heard the PFF guys mention it on their podcast too. Oh, okay. Well, I feel smart now. Not just um, you. Yeah, you're, yeah. You you caught that really well. The coaches do not like what he did on that play. Yeah. What ended up happening was Tanks Bigsby got the handoff and he bounced it outside where the corner and the wide receiver were all locked up, and the wide receiver had him in a really nice block facing so the wide receiver was on the inside corner was on the outside mm-hmm. and then when tank bigsby bounced it out he continued to bounce out until he was wide of the corner mm. so then the wide res- so then the he ran effectively behind the corner that was getting blocked in front of him so all the corner did was turn around and when that happened there was nothing the wide receiver could do but reach out and grab yes, yes he could have not reached out and grabbed but yeah. yeah, but and, that's that's a holding that's effectively on the running back. Well, and the, the other thing that's concerning is if he's trying to carve out the goal line role, 
because his name is Tank, shouldn't you be cutting that up and just running up, you know what I mean, going a little more north-south on a play like that, it seems like, especially when you're already outside the tackle box, you know. So to me, it seems like that's what he they picked him up for. ETN's the guy who bounces it out and makes the explosive play. He's the guy that, you know, he's the, he's the, he's the Jamal Williams of their team, to be honest, you know? So it was, um, you know, it was a read thing. So he'll get, he'll get better at that. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. Maybe it's a feel thing, but uh, other than that, he did have a good game. He put it like 75 yards. Um, Other, there was a puzzling thing with the Jacksonville wide receiver. So they added Calvin Ridley, and um, last week, the big news was Zay Jones and Calvin Ridley played all the starting snaps, and Christian Kirk was exclusively a, um, a slot receiver, which was a big story because he signed that giant $80 million contract, which, you know, everyone considers overrated, and all the receivers and their free and their agents uh, celebrated because they can all just point to the Christian Kirk deal and say, north of that, if you're paying me, uh, you know, to the uh, GMs. And um, but this week after playing with the starters, Zay Jones was the only one of those three that played while Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley sat with ETN and Trevor Lawrence. So maybe we shouldn't be getting too excited in the fantasy football circle saying Zay Jones is the steal of the draft for Jacksonville. Uh, maybe he is just a guy that's going to be out there on three wide receiver sets while Lawrence chucks it to uh you know, Engram or Calvin Ridley or in the slot to um, Kirk and Jones is just out there running wind sprints. Yeah, that could be. He might just be the deep threat guy. Yeah. But let's look at some of these wide receivers as far as fantasy. Still a know your format when it comes to the wide receivers. You need to know it more than any other position because the PPR versus standard, you know, a good PPR running back might catch five. A good PPR receiver might catch 12 and completely 180. Like I remember I had, uh, I think it was Danny Amendola or Julian Edelman, I think it was on the Patriots back in the day. I had him on three teams. He was, I had him on PPR, half point PPR and standard. He had a seven catch 30 yard game where he scored me three points in our league for standard scoring. Yeah. And he scored 10 points in PPR and was pretty good. And then in the middle, he scored six and a half. So, so just, just beware that it matters a lot. Um, if you're in a full point PPR, especially you can go heavy on wide receivers because in full point PPR, you will start to see 60% of the top 24 flex type players, which is running back wide receiver and tight end. Whereas in standard, it's the opposite where 60, 70% of those guys will be running backs because they just get the volume where you don't get points per rush. You get points per reception. Know that because especially because wide receivers vary in style. You might get a guy who catches three balls a game. They could be for a hundred yards. It could be for 10 and you could get another guy who catches 10 passes for 30 yards. And they're wild, wildly different when it comes to format. What I would warn people of is beware of what I call roster poison. Roster poison, we talked about this a little bit last week, are the guys who are just good enough that you don't want to cut them because they're better than what's on the waiver wire, but not good enough you're ever really happy starting them. Yeah, And this is a, a know your format extension. If you know that there is a maximum of 36 wide receivers that can be started in your league, say for the sake of example, then guys whose upside is like 30th to 25th wide receiver, not a whole lot of value, especially if that includes flexes. 
Those are the guys that are roster poison. You don't want them. In the draft, That this is like your Thielens, where they're going to be solid, but not great, even if everything goes their way. Yeah, for example, if you get draft a guy at wide receiver 36, and he performs at wide receiver 30, he is a value, but... Do you ever want to start a wide receiver 30 if it's a two t- two wide receiver league? It's not going to win you any games. It, and that's kind of a roster poison type, right? Exactly. Where you're kind of swinging for the middle. He's not bad. You can't really you don't want him to go to your opponent and play against you in a bye week or something, but especially um, if it's going to be somebody that's that he's cuz they're starting wide receiver 50. Yeah, exactly. And it, you, this type of player happens more at receiver than it does at running back because running backs due to injuries can go from wide receiver 30 to wide receiver five, just based on opportunity. You don't see that as much, which kind of brings me to my point is um, talent matters more at wide receiver than running back because it's three, two or three receivers are on the field. Most of the time you just have to get on the field and then you then, then your talent plays out. You see the guys with the higher target shares, you know, you might be paid half the money, but you get on the field, the receiver, the quarterback looks for you because you're always open and you see receivers change. Like I've heard people talk about Elijah Moore might overtake Mari Cooper or blah, blah, blah. We can talk about that more in a little bit later, but at running back, if you're the number three running back, you're not playing. Dearness Johnson is not, he has to get ahead of tank Bigsby and ETN in order to prove he's better than them. But Zay Jones can outperform Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley just by being on the field, um, just to the point of that. So when in doubt, trust your profiling of the receivers and just go with the guy you think is better, whereas running backs, you have to factor in the situation a lot more, which is weird to say because receivers are generally more dependent on their quarterback. But if they're good enough, they can out-alpha the other guys when they're on the field. On to more specifics about the wide receiver positions or players you might be drafting. We're going to do our overrated, underrated. We give a guy a draft position based on Yahoo's consensus expert rankings using the Yahoo system, which this is a standard system, correct? I believe so. Then we are deciding if the player is overrated, should be drafted lower, or underrated, should be drafted higher. One of the things that jumped out at us, by the way, in pre-production is that we are both pretty close to consensus on the top 10 wide receivers. So we're not really going to talk a whole lot about that. So we'll start off with Garrett Wilson, though, who at uh, New York Jets wide receiver number nine, overrated or underrated? That's a tough one because he didn't do a lot as a rookie because his quarterback play was so bad with Jeff Zach Wilson. But when he was playing with anybody, but Zach Wilson, he was really good. And he's playing with uh, Aaron Rodgers. I really like him. I think he's the best receiver in last year's draft class. And now he's going to have a massive upgrade at quarterback, even if it's just Aaron Rodgers of last year. The big question is, will Aaron Rodgers trust a second year player or will he force the ball to, you know, the corpse of Randall Cobb, like he did last year. I think, if anything, he's slightly overrated just because we don't know how he's going to connect with Rodgers, but he has wide receiver one overall upside. So I think maybe a little overrated, but that's because guys that go behind him are 
more locked into their roles. Like a uh, St. Brown is, I think he's a wide receiver 10 and he's got the same role in quarterback and stuff like that. So ma- massive upside, but he just has a little more risks than some of the guys in his range, like Waddle and St. Brown. Yeah. If you're in like an underdog best ball, I totally see Garrett Wilson as the wide receiver nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in a non PPR, because one of the things that concerns me about this offense here is there are, especially now they've added Dalvin Cook, there are so many mouths to feed. So many mouths to feed. Yeah. That I'm worried that even if he is much more efficient than he was last year, he might end up being only slightly better. I would much rather have Garrett Wilson as a number two receiver, and this pretty much dictates he's going to be your number one, or you're not going to have any running backs. Correct. So I think I'm with you. I think he's he's definitely worthy of the hype, but nine is a little bit steep. I would also say this is about where the cliff starts to fall off. This is where the top guys meet that next tier. Yeah, I mean, the guys ahead of him are A.J. Brown and Deont- and Devontae Adams, who are, you know, top five receivers who have pr- proven to do it in the past. So the next guy on the list is wide receiver 18, Debo Samuel. What's your take over or under, or should I say overrated or underrated? He is overrated. I am a fan of Debo Samuel's talent, but the problem that he's running into is he's basically got the same game as Christian McCaffrey and McCaffrey does it better. Yes, you nailed it on the head um, because he was known to be a one-trick pony with the running game, but his big year was he had 1,400 yards receiving, but they were very low ADOT catch and runs. And as you already said, McCaffrey eats into that role. So he's That's, still the yeah. same guy. He just has less opportunity. A lot of that, that has a lot of miles to feed in that system, especially with Kittle running similar routes. Yeah, the the splits with McCaffrey are killer. Like yeah. a huge chunk of his work even last year from a fantasy perspective was before they added McCaffrey. Yeah. So if you have him in dynasty, hold on to him. But if you, I, I I'm, I'm fading him at wide receiver 18. He's not a lot on a lot of my teams. I will say that. Yeah. I don't want him as a wide receiver too. Yep. So next one on the list is Deontay Johnson, wide receiver out of Pittsburgh, wide receiver 24, which early in the offseason, an underdog, he was in the late 30s going after George Pickens. But he has uh, since risen because people realize that maybe he won't score zero touchdowns the rest of his career. What's your take on Deontay? I'm a little bit more nervous on him than that. So I think that's a little high for me, but it's in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. I would prefer him as a high three, but so would everybody. I think that he's got some underlying metrics that are not good, but I think a lot of that was just the state of the offense last year. So using that exclusively like yards per route run, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. Some of that I think will naturally pick up with the development that we talked about in Pittsburgh passing game. It's fair. I would take him at 24, but I wouldn't be as happy as if I could get him at around say 30. Some of his metrics though are really good. Like he's one of the top at separation, um and target share the drawback is uh he does tend to lose his hands from time to time which enrages people but in my opinion 
two years ago, he was a top 10 receiver. The year before that, he was wide receiver 22. So even at wide receiver 24, you're basically buying him at his floor, assuming he can catch you know five or six touchdowns. Now, I know washed up Roethlisberger is not coming in the door, but he looked a lot better after the bye week when Kenny Pickett was fully ingrained as the starter than he did in the first half when we had very raw Bambi Pickett and uh, Mitchell Trubisky didn't even look at him. Yeah, I I was going to say that I don't think there was a receiver on that team that was hurt as badly as Deontay Johnson by Kenny Pickett being a check down machine in the first, say, two thirds of the time that he was playing last year. So there is plenty of evidence that Deontay Johnson can beat this ADP. Yeah, and I've, I found that he tends to be my wide receiver too when I don't gra- draft the receivers early. He's going late fifth, sixth round, et cetera. And as the quote-unquote last wide receiver two at 24, he has upside to make top wide receiver one, which we've seen. So I found him to be a good consolation prize when I go running back or tight end early or something like that. Um, and early on in ADP, his he was – through the floor. I mean, I had him as wide receiver fours in the eighth round in early underdog best ball league. It was ridiculous. The hate went way too far, but I think at 24, it's a good conversation. One of us had overrated. One of us had underrated. Now, one of the craziest ones would be the Ravens murky wide receiver core. We have Rashad Bateman at 42, Zay Flowers at 50 and Odell Beckham at 51. Is there any one of these guys that are going outside of the top wide receiver four? well, but Bateman's in the four range that you would want, or do you think any of them are, do you think there's a gem? I'll ask it that way rather than overrated, underrated. I, the one that I would not want unless it was, well, this is one that it depends on your format. Cause I think that in various formats, mm-hmm. any of them could be a gem. Rashad Bateman looks like he's finally back from injury and could give a couple of deep plays. Zay flowers, speed demon, so yeah, if you've got human joystick, especially if you've got a uh, one of those now rare leagues that gives a bonus for longer touchdown plays or something like that, my family flowers like that. is fantastic for something like that. And these guys are going in most leagues at the price of basically free. So mm-hmm. the advantage is you can grab one, see what you've got for two or three weeks and then dump them for a hot free agent if it doesn't work out. But if it does, and you've got somebody that's putting up wide receiver two numbers, you might have just made your fantasy team. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, my general take is I like Bateman as a wide receiver profile. He profiles to be a wide receiver one. He's really good, but he just can't stay healthy. And it's it's a shame. Um, Zay Flowers, like I said, big play guy. I'm fading Odell Beckham even at 51. I just think he's a highlight from seven years ago. He's still living on that. He missed an entire season. He forced his way out of Cleveland a couple of years ago. I'll take I'll take one of the young guys. I have two things that I want to say here. Rashad Bateman, I would draft at 42 for sure because he has the profile that you want and you can't always predict injuries i mean yeah you can tell if a guy's forked but i at a wide receiver for price to me it's worth it to roll the dice zay flowers is uh a a nice wide receiver for of the i just need a guy i can start two or three weeks and i plug him in and maybe he'll catch a long touchdown and i'll win odell beckham you know as a wide receiver five 
maybe you plug in if you're in a PPR or half PPR format, maybe you can look and see if he ends up being the one behind Mark Andrews in this offense where he's going to have significant carries and then or touches, I should say. So I'm glad you point out uh, Bateman with the injury risk. He's going late. So that's not an injury risk. You you don't want to get the guy in the third round that's going to be injured. That kills your team. This He's the epitome of avoiding roster poison. He either balls out as a top 20 guy or he's injured and you cut him. You know, so it's the opposite of poison. Exactly. Um, I think I think the best strategy with OBJ is if you do pick him up, hope he goes off for a touchdown or two in week one and then flip him to someone who loves OBJ because there are people who will overvalue him based on his uh and his name. name. Yeah, yeah. That is so, very true. I'm gonna surprise you with a quick question similarly. Most people have questions on the murky Chiefs receiver core because of Pat Mahomes. And while you think about who you might want, I'm not going to pull up the rankings or anything. I will talk a little bit because there's a lot of people in there. And I remind you, like Baltimore, their number one receiver is the tight end, Travis Kelsey. Um, my favorite outside of – I think Sky Moore has the highest floor this year as a slot type guy. He might not have the ceiling, but I think he's the best bet to fill the juju role last year. I think the biggest swing you can get him for free is Justin Ross. Um, he, the type of receiver he is, he's basically only fighting Marquez Valdez Scantling. And we've shown that Scantling is just a guy and he has the big play, big body, deep ball type. Whereas the other guys are kind of more underneath guys, like all of them, Richie James, Justin Watson, et cetera. So the real swing for the fence is Justin Ross, in my opinion, if you're going to take one guy, grab him late in the last pick of your draft and he will not be roster poison because he might not make the team or he might be Tyree kill. Sounds like a good one to me. Uh, yeah. To me, the answer for which chiefs receiver do I want is which one can I get late? There you go. This, this yeah. is like that running back committee. We talked about diving into the Merc, just go get the last guy. And if he's and he pays a cheapest lottery ticket. All right. On to the high end mid high to mid end buyer. Beware. Joe, who do you want to lead this segment off with? Who's burned you before? Got to be T. Higgins. I respect his talent as a wide receiver 14, but oh my goodness, he held me for ransom last year, my entire season. Tell him, tell him. He had (laughs) four games in which he started and then left because of injury. Three, you know, three of them were zeros. Oh. That doesn't count the week 18 game that he played as a full participant and got a zero. But let's talk the real T. Higgins here. Even if you take those games out completely, Jamar Chase is getting over 30% of team target share, almost 33. But one out of every three Joe Burrow dropbacks is going towards Jamar Chase. They are so in sync, they're practically harmonizing in boy band ballads together. It is that level. So T. Higgins in this offense, never going to be anything more than a secondary piece. Even if you take those four games out that he got pulled out of early, in a non-PPR, you're still looking at like a wide receiver 10-ish. And that was with Jamar Chase out a month. So I want to point out he's going as wide receiver 14. So this is the epitome of buying him at his ceiling. 
like with Jamar Chase out and him being healthy, he could exceed wide receiver 14, but he's more likely to be drafted at 14 and finish 20. Right. Exactly. Um, my my guy, the high-end buyer beware, I have similar fantasy woes as Joe did with T. Higgins last year. The last time we saw Calvin Ridley play, he did not play well. He did not exceed 70 yards receiving. He got suspended. He disappeared for a while for we don't know why. And then he got suspended for season and a half. And a lot of people are high on Calvin Ridley this year. Uh, he is uh, going um, 17 amongst receivers. Uh, there are a lot of highlights of how fast he's moving and stuff, but he's not a younger receiver anymore. He was an older rookie, rookie prospect. He's missed uh, two seasons. Now I think the last time we saw him matter was 2020. So it was three years ago. Now um, I'm usually leery of guys who have more than a two year gap. Cause some of these guys have two year injuries, you know, like we saw with Saquon a couple of years ago and then they can bounce back. But there's also a lot of mouths to feed with there. I mean, they still have Kirk and Zay Jones and they have a lot of running game and they don't have a great offensive line. Evan so, Ingram. And Ingram, yeah, he was really good last year down the stretch, and they paid him. So I, I just I'm, – I'm fading him. I think he's going wide receiver 17. I see him in other leagues going the top 15. So if you want to pay him and – and in your home league, he's going to go higher because he's a name. People will remember his 2020 year where he was a top three receiver when everything went right for him, and you will have to pay even more than the wide receiver 17 to get him – and I think it's going to be hard for him to return value because at least in Higgins' case, it's basically him and Jamar Chase. Ridley has tight ends to compete with and two other receivers, you know. So, and I don't think I'm, Lawrence is hyped as he is. He's not Joe Burrow, so that's who I'm. My that's my buyer beware. You could probably do better at that range. Everybody's trying to get something for nothing, and the price for Calvin Ridley has gone up where it's no longer nothing. Exactly. Um, so who's your mid, mid, uh, mid round stay away as we stay with the fades early? Well, I was all ready to talk about Terry McLaurin at wide receiver 20, but now that he's got that, uh, toe injury toe. where it looks like he's going to be either going to miss the start of the season or be hobbled. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't think, I think it's pretty obvious that he's not going to live up to wide receiver 20 draft stock. He might be not be drafted at wide receiver 20 at this point because of the toe injury. You're missing a couple games right off the bat. So who's your replacement uh, in this segment for him? Yeah, I'll, I would say the guy that I'm very wary of in any format except for full PPR is Chris Godwin. Uh, he's going wide receiver 29 right now. Uh, he's got and I understand that it's a very you know funneled target share in this offense. Baker Mayfield was just named the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers today. This is not Tom Brady throwing him the ball anymore. This is his uh, fourth team in a year and a half, Baker? Yeah. That's not a good sign. No. He is, at this point, pretty much the bridge quarterback, and that's all. And Chris Godwin is starting to get up there, too. It's said because although I like Godwin's talent, I think he would have been better off with more of a check down receiver light type or quarterback type like Tom Brady, but Mayfield prefers to throw it downfield. So he's going to be more of a Mike Evans type 
yeah. guy anyways. I think if you're you're going for Rashad White or Chris Godwin, you are hoping Mayfield gets benched for Kyle Trask. And at which point, do you really want to – is that your fantasy? This is fantasy football. Do you want to be rooting for Kyle Trask? Throw your guy the ball? That sounds awful. That, doesn't sound, exactly. that sounds like a nightmare football league. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look, it's nothing against Chris Godwin, but Baker Mayfield is going to throw YOLO balls. Mike Evans yeah. is the guy that's going to get YOLO balls. Chris yeah. Godwin is the I can run this offense perfectly and surgically t- chuck him the pass in the 10 to 15 yard range guy. Yep. He's a good receiver, but unless you're doing full PPR, I don't see him returning value at wide receiver 29, where he can take Baker Mayfield's inaccurate five to 10 yard catch and turn it into five to 10 yards. Yeah. So my guy is the complete opposite archetype at receiver. Mine is uh, George Pickens at Pittsburgh uh, wide receiver 36. Um, he makes a lot of highlights um, and we've seen it in the preseason game. We've seen it in camp. Um, unfortunately, the preseason game was a little different, but most of his highlights are just a go route where he's creating no separation and just, you know, high pointing or smaller cornerback, which is fine. But, you know, when Deontay Johnson's wide open on the other side all the time, he just gets more passes. Like even in the preseason game, he had the highlight touchdown. But Deontay Johnson had a 50% mark, uh, re- uh, receiver share. <laughs> he, he, over half the passes thrown by Kenny Pickett went the other way. And then we touched on this earlier. Um, through two preseason games, Allen Robinson's the guy starting. So if George Pickens is the third receiver and he was behind not only Deontay Johnson last year, but also Pat Fryer with the tight end and target share. And Najee Harris is good at checkdowns. Jalen Warren's good. I mean, there's a there's a um, a world where George Pickens is the fifth or sixth option in target share on that offense. Now he's going to get you good highlights, but my take is the same thing with J- uh, with Pickens as it is with OBJ. If he goes off for a highlight catch in the first game, try to trade him to someone if you can. I I just don't think he's going to be reliable in any format other than best ball because you do not get extra points for the highlight catch. You you just get, you know, everyone loves watching it, but that's about all he does. One highlight every couple of weeks. I have to admit that I was on the Pickens train, but when I hear that he's behind possibly Allen Robinson in this offense, that scares me. Especially when I'm now off him at this point price point especially when you saw Allen robinson play the last two years of chicago and la where he was terrible <laughs> maybe the steelers can reclaim him but if you're not outplaying him it's that in it's not like pickens is the rookie he was there last year they he vanquished clip chase claypool he was the starter so he lost the job you know so that's why i'm concerned about him Let's move on to happier things instead of our fades. Let's talk about sleepers and breakouts. Um, in the mid- We'll start with the mid-rounds. Who's your guy, Joe? I have long been a Jerry Judy supporter. Even last year when people were starting to hype Cortland Sutton, I was looking at the splits of the games that they played together and say, Jerry Judy is the guy when they both play. And that bore out last year, and I will happily take that victory. Uh, he w- didn't turn out to be a great fantasy year because that was an all-time bad coaching job. But with the injuries to the back end of the receiver room, Tim Patrick, we don't know what's going on with K.J. Hamler. 
if this ends up with a more funneled target share, then Jerry Judy is going to have a fantastic year because he can get open anywhere on the field. I want to point out, as you mentioned, he was disappointing last year, but down the stretch, he was a wide receiver three the second half of the season. I believe three overall. He was, quote unquote, a league winner, but I don't think people wanted to start anybody from Denver by that time because they were already burned by it. And uh, I, I, I'm with you. He's going at wide receiver 27, which is you're basically drafting him as a backup. And he will almost guaranteed to return top 20 value, in my opinion. He he could be an easy plug-and-play starter every week as your wide receiver two slot. So, And if it's wide receiver three, that's even better. <laughs> exactly. So my guy is going right after him at wide receiver 28. It is Christian Watson. And he's an interesting case because I'm going to talk about the Green Bay receiver core as a whole for a little bit. They're all values in my book because they are younger, they're unproven names, and the big thing is people are afraid of Jordan Love. We saw the same thing happen 15 years ago when Aaron Rodgers took over, and uh, I was able to buy Greg Jennings and Donald Driver on the low, and it turned out they were really good. They were both top 15 receivers. And there's a world where maybe they're not that good, maybe Jordan Love isn't that good, but they are values. In Watson, we saw him, we remember he had that drop to start the season, but he was really good in the second half of the season. And um, when I saw his rookie profile, I thought he was basically just like a Jalen Rager type, but he proved to be more than that. He was really good at catching the ball underneath and and, and running away from guys. He's really scary when he lines up in the middle uh, tight and then runs across the formation where no linebacker can keep up with him. And, um, and he... It's proven that he can be a pretty good all-around receiver. He gets open more than I expected. Um, and then uh, you mentioned Jaden Reed. He's the he's the slot guy. He's going to be a factor. He's going to be cheap. Um, Romeo Dubs is interesting um, because he's going wide receiver 60, and this is a bonus, so he's kind of going undrafted. But he fits the profile, and this is what you were kind of talking about when we went over the Packers game. He's the big guy. He's also always open. He's a good route runner, and he's getting the ball down the field. Overall, I'm saying I'm talking up Watson here, but Dubs might be the next uh, Devontae Adams based on his size and profile, to be honest. So this is a little bonus. Bears fan talking up three Packers. Please don't record this. Uh, can we delete this, actually, now that I think about this? <laughs> I mean, Christian, I love Christian Watson, too. I had him last year on my fantasy team. Yeah, he was good. Explosive. Yeah, his... I doubt that his touchdown percentage is going to hold up, but That's he true. is exactly what we're talking about by avoiding roster poison because he might be at this time next year, a stud top 10 receiver, but mm-hmm. he also might be junk. Yeah. We don't, and, we don't know. And based on the skill sets of all three of these guys, he is the wide receiver one right now. And I'm saying buy him at wide receiver 28, but I wouldn't be surprised if it shuffled the order because he's the burner guy, uh, reads the route runner, and Dubs is the big uh, contested touch guy. So also know your format. If you're in a big play league, Christian Watson will be the guy no matter what. If you're PPR, it might be Dubs or um, or Reed. You know, but either way, Watson has the highest floor of the three, and that's why he's going there. And I think he's going to be good. And like you said, especially best ball man, he's he's going to go off. Highest floor or highest ceiling? Both. Well, maybe. I don't know. That's a good question. I think I saw Dubs as the highest ceiling as an all-around receiver. But 
I think that's a good point. He might have the lowest floor, but the highest ceiling. Yeah. It's, I, it's weird to say that about the guy that's going first of them, you know, but I think that's true. I think he's the highest. He's the, he's the swing for the fence, to be honest. High, high ceiling, low floor. I'm a big Christian Watson believer. I, in my opinion, Christian Watson is the reason Trey Lance got drafted third overall. Period. Great points. End of discussion. Great point. Because Trey Lance. Light drop. Yeah. Yeah. On to the, uh, since I already kind of mentioned a couple deep sleepers from the Packers, do you want to throw out your late round sleeper? Yeah, keep an eye open on the on the knee, but I'm still a fan of Traylon Burks, who has a very unique role in this offense as the down-the-field alpha type. Um, and at the price of wide receiver 48, which is basically free, he's another example of a great stab especially if you've got a good wide receiver core otherwise, so you don't need him right away, then that's a, that's the kind of big play guy that can help you, especially non-PPR. Mm-hmm. And I want to add, too, you're also buying him at a discount because DeAndre Hopkins signed there, but I think with the year two progression and his talent and everything I've heard out of camp, what he's doing, even with the presence of DeAndre Hopkins there, he's likely to be the number one guy down the stretch when you're into a playoff run. So he could be, you know, he might be one of those guys that finishes the season at wide receiver 36, but he could be wide receiver 48, the first half and wide receiver eight in your playoffs. So he's a guy that's a slow burn. If anybody cuts him, snatch him up. But I think he's a great value late, especially because DeAndre Hopkins played well last year, but he was suspended and he is starting to, uh, his underlying metrics are starting to deteriorate with his age and he's on another team and another quarterback. Yeah. And on to your late round sleeper, who is also somebody I love. Go ahead. I love Elijah Moore at Cleveland at wide receiver 48. Um, when I was doing their draft class, I profiled him as 95% of what Devonte Smith was at, you know, he was at Ole Miss, so he didn't have the Alabama talent around him and didn't win the Heisman, but he's a very similar route runner size profile guy. And he flashed big his second half of his rookie year. Then they drafted Garrett Wilson. They paired him with Zach Wilson. There was all sorts of off the field issues and getting a fresh start in Cleveland is what he needed. And uh, Deshaun Watson is way better than Zach Wilson ever was. And um, the fresh start matters. The fact that they traded a second round pick means that they don't, they're not concerned about whatever off field issues he had with the Jets coaching staff. Um, And I think he's at wide receiver 40 I would not be surprised if he finishes as the wide receiver one in fantasy this year above Amari Cooper. And I like Amari Cooper. I just think Elijah Moore is that good and he could end up a top 10 or at least a top 15 guy. I'm with you on that. So now let's hear all the podcasts turn off. We're going to talk about kickers. (laughs) Hey, some people still use them. All the fantasy guys go, idiots, please. If you think we're morons, tell us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. For those who do play with kickers, which is still most people, I know the Sharps don't like them and all that stuff, and you're not a real man if you play with kickers, but there is some strategy to it because most people just say a kicker is a kicker. So what's your tips on kickers? Because I don't think we're going to bring out any specific. So No. Um, I've run a fantasy football league for a very long time you know we're going into year 26 and our kicker stuff is 
pretty standard. If you've got a system where extra points are one, field goals are three, possible bonuses for longer kicks, you've got a fairly standard kicker system. The value of kickers is going to depend very much on your format. The more guys you start, the deeper the format is, the less kickers will matter because those kicker points will be drowned out. Kickers have a high week-to-week variance in what they do because they're not even the secondary part of their team's offense. They're the accidental offense. That doesn't mean that they're worthless or unpredictable. I like to go for kickers that are established names. Like, I know that Justin Tucker is going to be a worthwhile kicker unless everybody on the offense is hurt and Baltimore just falls off the planet. I know that Young Ku is in a great situation in a Southern Dome team in a bad division with a strong leg. Love it. Helpful hint also, I like looking for kickers with late buys. The reason I do that is because, you know, in that sort of standard distribution, the top three kickers or so really matter. They will give you a significant point two, maybe three advantage per game on the competition, which you want if you can have it. You don't want the guy that is very average, and there's a very good chance that if you don't happen to get that top guy, you're going to want to do something else. So if you get a guy with a late buy, then you only have to switch your kicker once. So you can wait until week four, week five, whatever, see who's the best kicker available that's already had their buy, hit it, you're done for the rest of the year. And you've managed your kicker with one roster spot. So another tip is just make sure he's not injured or cut. Sometimes that happens. That's <laughs> <Yes>. usually... and <laughs> when <laughs> Good tip! <laughs> yep. And um, Why they usually... pay me the big bucks. Yep, and you can avoid that a lot of times by going with Joe's first rule, by going with the established names. It is very unlikely Justin Tucker will be cut or someone like Harrison Butker. Um, my suggestions is generally go with a team that plays in the dome, uh, you're, you're, uh, and usually with a decent offense, it doesn't have to be a great offense, but a good enough offense that they can move the ball. Uh, the Raiders last year with Daniel Carlson was pretty good. Uh, the saints are usually up there. Um, and if you can't find a good dome team, oh, the Vikings, uh, you know, with Greg Joseph, if you can't find a good dome team, just a warm weather team usually helps too. just nice weather. Cause you don't want to be kicking in uh, a blizzard in New England, you know, outdoors with a mediocre kicker, they're going to shank some stuff or they might just not kick it. They might punt it or, you know, go for it on fourth. And just the other caveat that I, I picked up on a couple of years ago when I started riding the Daniel Carlson train when, in, with the Raiders is an offense with good skill positions and a bad offensive line tends to make a big play, move into field goal range, and then get sacked and settle for a field goal. Hmm. So that's a that's a little trick I learned the last couple of years. Um, so follow your offensive lines. If there's a bad offensive line with good skill position, you might get a lot of kick field goals out of it. Oftentimes longer ones because they just took a sack to set that one up. Yep. If you believe that we are idiots for even talking about kickers, tell us so. Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. But that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us another week. Remember, five star reviews, share us, tell us your tell your friends. Please help us grow our show. And thank you for listening and spending some time with us each week. Thank you to Raymond for our show theme, coming home. Thank you for Chris Brandley for all of our logos. 
and shout out to our friends from Germany. One of our friends that I know is going to be there next weekend for a few weeks, and that might be one of our pipelines. So have a fun trip to Germany, Toby, and uh, keep listening to us. Uh, you might not be the Midwest of America, but you're the middle of Europe and the middle of our hearts. <laughs> middle of Western Europe, maybe. <laughs> but that does it for this week. We will take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter. And until our season preview episode, we will see you later. I miss you already.